Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Spain and Fitz, the podcast. No radio show tonight. We are bounced by all sorts of playoff baseball getting underway. And no Fitz tonight. He is a little bit under the weather. Um, things coming out of all sorts of ends. So we're just going to let him rest and hydrate and hopefully feel better. And uh, I got a couple things for you. First, I have to remind you. Thursday, this week, October 1st, the first ever live virtual free That's What She Said with Sarah Spain podcast. So we will all be hanging together. Unfortunately, there was supposed to be a big three-city tour and be on stage at at the House of Blues and have all you guys come in person and throw T-shirts at your faces and everything else. Uh, But COVID, uh, just like everything else has been spoiled, uh, so too was this. But we do have a fun virtual event where you'll get to ask uh, questions and have dilemmas solved by my guests, Julie Foudy, Izzy Gutierrez, Tony Reale. We're going to get all sorts of fun behind-the-scenes secrets of Around the Horn. Uh, I Spoiler alert, one will involve Jay Mariotti leaving voicemails for Tony. Um, and then Julie Foudy has so much to talk about right now because she and the 99ers sold their life rights to Netflix for a feature film. Not a documentary, but a feature film about that World Cup winning team that changed everything. Um, and also, she just founded a new soccer team with Jennifer Garner and Natalie Portman and Serena Williams, all these other Hollywood stars and celebs and sports. So tons to talk to with Foudy, and she is always a blast. You can register by going to bitly-twss1020. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-W-S-S-1020. It's free. When you register, you can get all your questions and stuff in. I hope to see you Thursday night. There's no Spain and Fitz that night. It's not a great Thursday night football game. There's no NBA that night. You're going to be hanging out with me and Coors Light and my guests. It's going to be fun. See you then. I have some NFL fun facts that I wanted to get to on Monday's show, but we didn't have time. So I figured I would do them today. I've also got a must read that I'm going to recommend. But first, let's get to those NFL fun facts. And the first involve um, my not very good Bears team, but also very undefeated Bears team. I'm really not expecting that perfect record to last, but I am enjoying it. And I will give them credit because despite potentially not being that good of a team, they do clearly know how to win, clearly know how to finish fourth quarters, and they never give up. I mean, three weeks in a row, they either blew a lead or had to come back from a big deficit. So those are great qualities to have from a team that maybe doesn't have the talent that the best of the bunch do. Uh, so they're keeping it fun. I mean, 3-0, and that's fun no matter how you get there. Uh, so the facts. Uh, since at least 1940, the Bears are 3-144 and when trailing by 16-plus points entering the fourth quarter. And obviously, two of those three wins came in the last two weeks. Three and 144. They were one before the last two weeks. Uh, NFL teams overall in that situation, trailing in the fourth quarter by 16 plus points, six and 646 since the start of just uh, 2010. Six and 646. Uh, So the Bears doing some incredible things. They've also scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter 10 times since 1991, including, of course, twice in the last 14 days. Uh, last season, the Bears scored 55 points total in the fourth quarter in all of 2019. So far in 2020, they've got 41 points in the fourth. <laughs> Pretty remarkable. Okay, heading north, a, a crazy fact that was on that Green Bay Saints broadcast that you might have missed uh, regarding top quarterbacks and their targets. So Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, when it comes to throwing touchdown passes to first-round draft picks, Peyton first, Peyton Manning First, with 293 touchdown passes to first-rounders. Drew Brees sits at 12th. He's thrown 104 passes to first-rounders. Aaron Rodgers, two. 
two. He's only thrown two touchdown passes in his career to first-rounders. So all those complaints about not getting those top-end wide receivers and targets, I think he might be onto something there. Um, sticking with amazing quarterbacks, here's a Russell Wilson stat that I found just incredible uh, and shows you how incredible he's been this year. He threw for 315 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions on Sunday. 315 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions, and his season passer rating went down. (laughs) That's how good of a season he's having right now. Uh, And a final fun football fact, uh, I beat Fitz in fantasy. Just really crushed him. I'm 3-0. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Team, my Eck, my deck is uh, 3-0, and I served up Fitz a big healthy L. So the reading suggestion that I mentioned to you is uh, Howard Bryant's latest for the dot-com called Police Protest Pandemic and the End of the 9-11 Era. It's an absolute tour de force of a column. It is a long read, but it is brilliant and thoughtful and incisive and relevant and timely and informative and eye-opening. I I can't say enough how much I think you should read it. It takes a look at, it, it starts out by introducing sort of the important historical acts that said a lot about what a generation was going to experiencing after that. And for his grandfather and for him and his son, what those things were, including, you know, Pearl Harbor and for his son, 9-11. And so the 9-11 inspired inclusion of police in our sports and how we've just become so accustomed to that. We don't really notice it. But now that it's colliding with the resistance of the current moment, it's creating some calamitous results and in some ways makes it clear that the two coexisting together is, is untenable. I encourage you to read the whole thing because it is really smart and the statistics and details on accountability for crimes committed by police, the difficulty for athletes to continue activism alongside some of the conflicting messages uh, carrying over from these post 9-11 traditions. Uh, You're going to be informed, your opinions potentially challenged, but it's a really worthy read and super important. I'm just going to read you a small bit that he writes about American sports post 9-11. A frightened America turned to authority. It thanked police by giving them a new name. Heroes, all of them, the entire profession, the ones were at ground zero, the ones who weren't, the ones who did heroic things, the ones who lied and stole and disgraced their profession. In Times Square and throughout New York, tourists took as many pictures with cops as they did with the naked cowboys, Spider-Man or Elmo. In souvenir shops across America, NYPD t-shirts, hats, hoodies and sweatshirts sold as if they were a professional sports team or university. Hudson News tables at JFK and LaGuardia airports are dedicated to NYPD merch, no different from the kiosks reserved for the Knicks, Rangers, Giants, Yankees, Jets, or Mets. The police presence became a primary component to the selling of sports and the selling of police. Cops sang the national anthem. They sang God Bless America. From hotels to football, concerts to sneakers, they enjoyed promotions and price discounts in their honor. In sports, they received law enforcement appreciation nights. 50,000 people honoring police at Yankee Stadium. 40,000 at Minute Maid Park, 45,000 at Dodger Stadium, the first 20,000 fans receiving replica badges from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, 20,000 more at Madison Square Garden. The story of 9-11 should have belonged to the American people, and police should have contributed to honoring that day. Instead, it was taken from the people and co-opted into a justification for increasing the influence and the presence of police, and the overcompensation at that time, in many ways, is responsible for the reckoning occurring on American streets today. The people doing the clapping were not just fans, but citizens, already exposed to a saturation of copaganda through the endless cop shows, reality TV, and nighttime dramas, and now further exposed to the hero narrative just by going to a baseball game. 
Dozens of studies have showed that a significant number of Americans gain their understanding of and sympathy for policing and criminal justice through television programs. After being exposed through sports to a massive celebration of law enforcement, they would leave ballparks around the country and serve on juries, the very same juries that routinely acquit police officers at an extraordinary rate. According to data collected by Philip Stinson, professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green University, only five non-federal law enforcement officers were convicted of murder between 2005 and 2019. The 9-11 pageantry further increased the tilting of favor toward police. Four years before 9-11, four white NYPD officers assaulted a Haitian immigrant named Abner Luima. One of the officers, Justin A. Volpe, sodomized him with a broken broomstick while he was handcuffed in a police precinct bathroom. Luima eventually was granted a settlement of $8.75 million, paid for not by police, but by New York City taxpayers. Volpe remains in prison. Less than a year after 9-11, in a new climate, Judges and juries were loath to punish police, the heroes who kept us safe, the ones we cheered at the ballpark. The convictions of several officers were overturned, including the 15-year prison sentence of Charles Schwartz. Bad apples to good apples to heroes. And later Bryant writes, Players, like large portions of the rest of society, do not doubt individual acts of bravery and certainly not the split-second and fatal reactions on 9-11 that saved lives at the expense of some of their own. What is receiving resistance from players is the occupation that is policing and the glorification thereof, its valor, its legitimacy, and its refusal of accountability, as well as a public that refuses to hold the police accountable in the form of jury trials and district attorneys who do the same. I really recommend you read the whole story and think of the ways we've grown accustomed to sports traditions that just don't fit the current era, particularly as the voice of the black athlete emerges more and more, demanding equality of opportunity and protection, naming the, the people who have, 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 have fallen uh, dead at the hands of police brutality and how we can simultaneously honor the profession without any accountability while also acknowledging and being realistic about the ways in which it needs to be reformed. It's just a really powerful piece and it's so smart and it's full of facts. Um, and so again, even if maybe your opinion uh, might be, uh, I don't want to read that, that sounds anti-police. It's not. It's, it's about the, the facts of how things have adjusted and changed in our society and the traditions in sport that feel so difficult uh, to change uh, need to be changed. They, they don't fit anymore. Uh, anyway, a very deep and, and uh, thoughtful, that's what she said, podcast. That's what happens when Fitz is sick and I get to take over and make you read long form stories because I love reading. Have a great night. Uh, back with more podcast fun tomorrow, a much lighter one tomorrow. So look for that. And I hope to see you Thursday night for that live That's What She Said podcast. bit.ly slash TWSS1020 is where you register. Bitly slash TWSS1020 is where you register. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.